topic tonight is out of the book of Isaiah, chapters 3 and 4. Chapters 3 and 4, as we've seen a number of the chapters of Isaiah, cover um, this theme of, uh, of rebuke and pronounce, pronouncing, uh, pronouncing of judgment and then uh, restoration and hope and, and, uh, and deliverance. <clears throat> and we see that. It's a very common theme through Isaiah. Isaiah was living at a time when he was living through that. Uh, Isaiah, uh, the northern kingdoms, uh, were uh, being judged and being rebuked, and the, the uh, Syrian kingdom was coming in, and, and during his lifetime destroyed them, wiped them out, and took them captive. And yet uh, Judah in the south was uh, experiencing a revival and a reformation and repentance and deliverance from the Syrians while they were attacked as well. And Isaiah uh, foreshadows almost in every chapter over and over again, last days uh, that we're living in and that whole theme of judgment, restoration, deliverance. <clears throat> and so we see that in these two chapters combined as well. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and Judah the whole supply of bread and water. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, and the skillful artesian, and the enchanter. So again, pronouncing judgment, that will be taken away. <clears throat> All these various people groups. Verse 4, I will give children as their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, the child will be insolent toward the elder, and the base toward the honorable. So again, this pronunciation of judgment. And <clears throat> instead of the children honoring Respecting the elders, there's this rebellion and insolence going on, again, very similar to today and prophecies of last days. Verse 8, chapter 3 still. For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provo provoke the eyes of his glory. They brought evil upon themselves. And so he makes it very clear that these judgments, the things that are happening, are as a result of their sins, of their choices, of their words, of their actions. And they've, they've brought this evil upon themselves. Now sometimes evil just happens. Sometimes we, evil happens to, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes just because we live in a fallen planet, we live in a, uh, on a devil's turf, uh, and we're not in heaven yet, and so things happen. Satan attacks us. God allows things to happen to us for various different reasons. And so sometimes that happens. But very clearly here, he makes it plain. The evil that is taking place is brought upon ourselves by our choices, by our actions, by our deeds. <clears throat> and so very clear. And then he gets into this whole enumeration of some of the things. Um, and throughout again, Isaiah lists lots of different reasons, but in this chapter he covers uh, several. <clears throat> As well, in verse 10, he says, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Verse 11, But woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And so there's a ray of hope that's thrown in here. God's word always has hope. The prophets always have hope. The word comes from the Lord, always reveals hope when it's also 
pronouncing warnings and judgments. So there's a ray of hope there. Say to the righteous, it shall be well with them. The judgments that will come will come upon the wicked because of their actions, because of their deeds. But the righteous, it will go well with them and they will eat the fruit of their doings. So a promise there. Not all doom and gloom. The fact that Isaiah is warning even the wicked, there is a ray of hope of repentance and turning from sin. But also a promise to those who choose the path of righteousness. And again, none of us are righteous, born righteous. None of us are righteous in our own righteousness. None of us are righteous in our own strength. We're talking about the righteous, as opposed to the wicked. All he's talking about is human beings, both equal, wicked and righteous, both born human, both born under whatever circumstances. But the wicked choose to continue to follow the devil and the wrong paths and disobedience to God. And the righteous have acknowledged that they were on that same path and acknowledged it and confessed it to God and asked for God's forgiveness and have claimed God's removal of those sins out of their lives. And they weren't born perfect or anything like that. They were sinners as well. They've confessed it, acknowledged it, have accepted the sacrifice that God has provided for the forgiveness of those sins, and have, and have accepted God's spirit and God's righteousness to come into them and live in them and begin to live right choices and right actions out of them. That's the difference. Again, all just humans. And either can go either way. The righteous can forsake their ways and go back to their evil ways if they want, and the wicked can turn from their wicked ways and turn to God and go through that process and be forgiven and be cleansed and be delivered and have righteousness placed upon them as well. And so, order the wicked, it shall go be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. So, both get the rewards, the rewards of their choices, the rewards of the actions that came about as those choices. And this is again a theme throughout the scriptures. Uh, for the wages of sin, the results of sin, the Reward of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to those who are in Yeshua the Messiah. So it all comes down to the choices we make and those choices, choosing to follow Satan and obey him, or choosing God and allow God to give us the power to follow him. And then we reap the results of those choices. Again, theme throughout the scriptures. Verse 13. The Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard. So again, ray of hope. The Lord will stand and he will plead. He will plead for the righteous. He will plead in his behalf. We will have an advocate standing before us in the judgment who pleads our case for us. The one who never loses a case the one who places his righteousness, the one who places his record in place of our record, the one who takes our record and places upon himself and pays the punishment for us, he will plead for us. But he will also stand to judge those who choose not to receive his forgiveness, not to receive his righteousness. And he will enter into judgment with the elders and stand, and the record will stand against us. He is merciful, he is loving, he is <clears throat> quick to forgive, quick to receive, but he will not be mocked, 
and he will allow our rebellious choices to cause the result of the judgment to come upon us. And not so much only in this earth, but eternally as well. Verse 16, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. Now he starts getting into this list of what caused, causing the, the wrong choices or the wrong choices that are causing the judgment to come. Because the daughters of Zion, now he says the daughters of Zion, so he's not talking about the daughters of Assyria or Syria or anywhere else or Babylon. He's talking about the daughters of Zion. He's talking about the professed followers of God. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of their selfishness, because <clears throat> of their love of self. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. So again, talking about the children of Zion, the daughters of Zion, the sons of Zion, and the Lord will uncover the motives. He will uncover. We can try and cover it up. We can try and cover our sinfulness with our own righteousness, our own filthy rags, with all kinds of coverings and makeups and jewelries and, 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 and facelifts and face masks and, and uh, pleasant words and happy things and, and uh, Lord Lords and, 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 and all type of pretense of godliness and and uh, of show, but the Lord will expose it all. He'll uncover it all. He'll uncover the masks of religiosity, of falsehood, of pride, of arrogance, of haughtiness, of selfishness, self-boasting and arrogance. He'll expose it all and expose their secret parts. He'll leave us naked in the judgment. Might fool people in this world, but we won't fool God the judge. It will all be exposed. Every secret thought, every secret motive, every intent of the heart will be revealed. But it's not just outward reforming our lives. It's not behavior modification that God is talking about. He's not talking about just trying to be better to become righteous. It's a total removal of the carnal heart, a total removal of the sinful nature, and a taking of it and a placing it upon God and allowing God to kill it, destroy it, remove it from us, and for him to replace it with his heart, with his mind, with his life. So that from the inside out, goodness flows. From his spirit within, flowing out righteousness, right thoughts, right desires, right motives. Right intent, unselfishness, godliness. And thus it will produce joy, peace, meekness, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. It produces good works. It produces friendliness. It produces the right actions on the outside. From the inside secret parts to the out, one or the other. Out of the abundance of the heart, 
so the mouth will speak. It's the heart that will be judged. And the heart is manifested in the actions. Verse 18, in that day the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarfs and the crescents, the pendants and the bracelets, and the veils and the headdresses and the headbands and the leg ornaments and the perfume boxes, the charms, the rings and the nose jewels. All the vanities, all the decorating of ourselves, all the bringing attention to self. That's the problem here. The pride, the haughtiness, bringing attention to self. Look at me, look at my riches, drawing attention to self. That's the issue. That's the issue. I just read an interesting story this morning. I wasn't doing research for the sermon or anything. I just picked up this newsletter. It's been laying around the house for about two weeks now. I get this newsletter once a month from this ministry. And uh, it, the person was telling the story that happened uh, recently. This, this, uh, this young girl came for prayer, saying that she had some sicknesses. Um, read the newsletter. had never met this girl before. She came. Uh, about 18 years old or something like that. Young teenage girl, she said. And uh, <clears throat> had for prayer because she was experiencing some, some illnesses. Now the girl had piercings all over, piercings in her cheeks and her nose and her tongue and all these kind of things. And, um, and so it prompted uh, the lady to uh, tell her a story. She said, when I worked in, in Brazil, I was ministering to a lady and she was involved in all kinds of voodoo and all this uh, demonic worship stuff. And when I started sharing the Bible and the truths of the Bible with her, uh, she had all these piercings as well and all these things and she would do these enchantments and she would put spells on people and, and um, when, when she came to the Lord, she got rid of all that stuff. She burned it all, forsaked it all, buried it all and got rid of it all. And uh, she was greatly persecuted as a result of that. Uh, the other voodoo witches and things would, would try and put spells on her but she rebuked them in the name of the Lord and uh, had full deliverance, was immersed and lived a godly life. So she shared that story with the, with the girl. She prayed with the girl. And uh, uh, a week later, uh, the lady found out the girl felt impressed to, uh, to take out the pins and the things and the piercings and all out of her, out of her skin. And, um, and the pain and the problems that she was experiencing went away. Now, whether it was this self-acupuncture in the wrong places that she was doing or whatever it was that was causing or whether it was prayer that just miraculously healed it, or whether there was some satanic issues that were attached with it, as the lady in Brazil, uh, you know, I don't know, but whatever, she was healed. And the Lord delivered her. Oh, and back with the Brazil thing, the, the lady said that, that the, uh, the, the ex-voodooist said she wouldn't even want to put on any of that stuff, that she might be even thought by other people that she still was associated with that uh, voodoo and things that went along with it. So to distance herself from that. It goes on, it continues the list. The festal apparel and the mantles and the outer garments, the purses and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans and the robes. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench, a rope instead of a sash, baldness instead of well-set hair, sackcloth instead of a rich robe, branding instead of beauty. Now, this is a picture of the Kohinga doll, and we see on your left-hand side, he is dressed with colorful, uh, 
colorful garments and vestures and even gold and, and 12 jewels, actually 14 jewels, and uh, a head uh, dress of gold. It says, holiness to the Lord. So obviously some of these things aren't bad that this whole list that he just gave us. But the issue is, who are we drawing attention to? The garments of the Kohen Gadol, all those things were to draw attention to God. Now certainly you could have put it on and gotten proud in itself, but in its intent, it was designed by God to bring attention to God. The 12 on the, on the chest, the 12 tribes, carrying them on his heart, uh, the uh, holiness to the Lord, written upon his forehead, the Urim and Thurm, God's direction, yes or no, which way should I go, just seeking direction from God, and, and all the various different colors, all having various symbolism of, of kingliness and of uh, the blood of the sacrifices and all the different colors therein and the white robe of righteousness. But even on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, would take off all of those garments in the time of judgment and would wear just the, as he'd go into the Holy of Holies, as he would stand before God's throne, as he would stand before the Ark of the Covenant, as he would stand before the Mercy Seat, as he would stand uh, before the Ten Commandments, as he would stand before God's Shekinah glory, now no longer standing for the people, but going in, standing for God, pleading his own behalf and for the people. He would take off all of those garments and wear just the white robe, symbolizing the white righteousness and the purified heart. So again, in and of themselves, these things are necessarily bad, but what's the motive? Do we try to draw attention to ourselves? And that goes for everything we do in how we live our lives. The type of homes we choose, the type of cars we choose, the type of clothing we choose, everything we choose, how we speak, when we speak. Are we drawing attention to God or are we trying to draw attention to self? The purpose of the vestiges are supposed to cover our flesh and cover our secret parts and to be modest. But they can also be used and worn in such a way to draw attention to the flesh and do just the opposite of what their intent, uh, God's intent for clothing is. Once again, clothing could be clothing or it could be clothing, right? All depends. It could be good, it could be righteous. It all depends on the intent of the heart of the wearer. Two people can say exactly the same things. One saying it with pure good motives, one saying it with selfish motives. Right? One person can say to somebody, you know, oh, you look nice today. It's just a sincere compliment. The other person can say the same exact thing, trying to get something from that person, trying to flatter that person, you know, with wrong motives. It comes down to the motives and the intent of the heart. But also like in that Brazil example, not also to be a stumbling block to, to others or to defame the, the temple of God that God has given us in our body. Okay, so back to Isaiah chapter 3, still, verse 25. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn and she being desolate 
shall sit on the ground. Again, just a judgment pronounced because of their haughtiness and their pride and their vanity. Chapter 4, verse 1. In that day, again, usually in the Bible it says, in that day, it's talking about that judgment day, the final day, the Yom Kippur of Yom Kippur's. <clears throat> in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's like, what on earth is that all about, right? Why would seven women grab hold of one man, and why would they want to eat their own food and wear their own apparel? Why do they just want to be called by his name, right? Well, let's take it apart and look at it using the biblical symbolism that is in there. In that day, again, the last days, judgment days, final days of earth's history, in that day, seven, seven representing totality, completion, fullness, women, women in scriptures often represent God's people, when it's good women, righteous women, prudent women, representing following God, uh, virgin woman, if it's a harlot woman, representing God's people, disobeying God, so seven women, Seven, people of God, the daughters of Zion in a sense, shall take hold of one man. If that one man is the man, and we'll see uh, in the next few verses he's talking about the Messiah. We'll take hold of the one man, the Messiah, saying, we will eat our own food. We don't need your bread. We don't need your drink. We don't need anything from you. We don't need your blessings. We don't need your manna. We don't need your word. We will go by our own ways. We'll eat our own foods. We'll provide for our own needs. We will eat the things that we want to think about. We will ingest our own ways, our own doings, and wear our own apparel, not your covering, not your righteousness, but our own good deeds, we will cover ourselves with our own good deeds, with our own actions, with our own record. But only let us be called by your name. So we want to continue to do what we want to do. We want to continue to eat what we want to eat. We want to continue to live how we want to live. We want to continue to do what we want to do. We want to continue to make our source of own our own power and our own decisions, whatever we think is right. But at the same time, we want to be called by your name. We want to be called godly. godly. We want to be called children of Zion. We want to be called followers of you. We want to be called children of God. Whatever, you know, term... I want to give, and the Bible gives us lots of different terms for people following God. So let us be called by your name, let us be called your children, let us be called followers of you, even though we're really not, even though we're really just doing our own thing, to take away our reproach. So a form of godliness denying the power thereof. 
And that's exactly what we have going on today. We have professed people of God claiming God as their father and as their righteousness and, and uh, of, of, of his forgiveness and, and claiming a right to heaven because of it. But not wanting to follow the Bible, not wanting to follow what the Bible says, not wanting to do what the Bible says, wanting to do it their own ways, their own traditions, their own man-made ways, their own things, their own righteousness, their own actions, covering their lives with their own record. I know the Bible says this, but this is what I think. I know the Bible says this, but this is what I want to do. I know what the Bible says, but that was very old, and now we're today, we're different. Changing times. Our own excuses. Making up our own ways, our own laws, our own traditions. But still wanting to be called God's children. And that's exactly what we're seeing going on today. In that day. We cover ourselves, we draw attention to ourselves. We've got these television evangelists taking in tons of money, building up mansions for themselves. One was uh, investigated by the IRS and they found uh, marble toilets. decorating themselves, living for themselves. But not just the leaders. It's just teaching also, the prosperity also. Do your own thing. But still be called by God's name. That's all you need to know is just be called by his name. And that's all they want to do. That is a prophecy that goes back thousands of years. Aptly describing today, today's world, today's professed believers. Not wanting to follow God's ways, but still being willing to be called by his name. It's amazing. It's amazing. Do a survey throughout the United States. High percentage, but still claim to be following Bible principles, Judeo-Christian principles, Judeo-Christian heritage. But at the same time, who's going to all the Halloween parties? Who's doing all the trick-or-treating? Who's buying all that second highest holiday purchasing in the, of the year? Who's buying all the pornography? Who's buying all the drugs? The same percentage of people, same coming from that same group of people. Follows in that survey percentage-wise, boy, there'd be almost no crime. For all of those who profess to have a Judeo-Christian heritage under those names, follow what the Word of God says, We'd have a lot of empty prisons. Pornography websites and magazines would get shut down for lack of interest. Tons of the problems that we're having in this country just wouldn't exist. But we're wanting to be called by his name, but eat our own food and wear our own apparel. In that day, the branch, the Messiah, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. 
and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Have escaped what? Have escaped the corruptions of this world. Who escaped the vanities of this world. Who escaped the, the pride and the carnal heart. Who have escaped out of their wickedness and have run onto the strong tower, the Lord God Almighty, and found protection under him. Who've escaped to doing their own ways, who've broken away from Satan, and have drawn near to God, and have escaped and been delivered. So he pronounces judgment. Why? And the reality of the situation but gives a glimmer of hope. For the righteous, they will plead with them, and that it will go well, and the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious to those righteous that escape. They shall enjoy the fruit of the earth, shall be excellent and appealing to them, to all those of Israel who have escaped. God gives us a way of escape through the branch, the branch of the arm of the Lord who's come forth as a branch out of dry ground. We didn't initially see any beauty in him. But the beauty of the Lord is in him. The deliverance of the Lord is in him. And he is our way of escape. He is our door of escape to be delivered from this wicked world and its selfishness and its pride and its arrogance. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. So again, the judgment will come. The righteous will run onto the strong tower, run into the Lord, run into the city of peace, run into the prince of peace, and hide in him. And who are delivered and escaped the judgment and remain will be called holy. Again, the whole theme of warning, wickedness, judgment, deliverance, redemption, and victory. Verse 4, and when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, he has to purge, he has to deliver, he has to burn off the dross, like, like taking uh, the gold and putting it through the fire, to burn off all the dross, to burn away all the impurities. He takes us through the judgment, takes us through the trials, takes us through the struggles, takes us through the temptations, and he delivers us and strengthens us through it. He doesn't deliver us from this world, he delivers us in spite of it takes us through it. He armors us and he walks us through it. He surrounds us with his angels. He surrounds us with his presence. He covers us with his righteousness. And he purges away. He washes away the filth. We have to go through a washing process, cleansing process. Take away my sinful nature. Take away my carnal thoughts. Take away these carnal desires. Deliver me, O oh Lord God. Give me an escape. Free me 
for my selfishness and pride and depression and anger and bitterness, wrath, jealousy, rebellion. Deliver me from my own ways, from my own food, from my own apparel. And change me so that I desire your ways. That I love your law. That I love your word. Cover me and clothe me with your righteousness. He'll wash us of all the filth. And he'll purge us by his blood. By the spirit of judgment. And by the spirit of burning. Some area in your life that needs purging, that needs cleansing, surrender it to the Lord. Let him cleanse you. Let him take it. Let him place it upon himself. Let it be buried away and removed and destroyed. And let him fill you with his holiness, with his righteousness. And then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of a flame of fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. There will be a tabernacle for a shade in the day from the heat and a place of refuge and a shelter from storm and rain. What does that sound like? What is the analogy to? When we came out of Egypt, that's right. Going through the wilderness, a cloud by day and a fire by night. What's that? All 40 years? Yes, for the 40 years, that's right. A cooling shade by day and a warm light and bright light during the night. So there we have the deliverance, we have the tabernacle, we have Sukkot all over again. So we have the judgment, Yom Kippur, the warning, the, 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 uh, the days of awe. We have the judgment. And then we have deliverance. And we have Sukkot all over again. It's a very common theme through Isaiah. Over and over again. An important theme because it's important for our time. Because we've forgotten these things. Because these things are not being taught. You're saying, do whatever you want. doesn't matter anyway. You'll never gain victory anyway, so what's the difference? <laughs> so, so what, right? But there will be judgment. And it's through God's word, it's through his truth that we are purged. Through the spirit of fire. Through the spirit of judgment. He'll purge us, he'll cleanse us. And then the Lord will create above every dwelling place. Everyone who has escaped. Everyone who remains faithful to the Lord. Everyone who holds fast to the Lord. Everyone who is delivered in that day. Cloud of smoke by day and shining flame by night. Beautiful analogy. There'll be no night there. The flame of fire will keep us awake all night long. Cooling shade. For all the glory, the glory of the Lord will be a covering, a tabernacle. He will tabernacle with us. Again, Sukkot, he will be a Sukkot, a Sukkah for shade in the daytime. God's protection, surrounded under his banner. May his banner of love be over us. May the banner of his name be over us place of refuge to go and to find help in our time of need, and a shelter through the storms and the rain.
He'll take us through the storms. He'll take us through the rain. He'll take us through the judgment. He'll take us through the purging. He's able to deliver us. For our carnal heart, carnal motives, set us free, give us a way of escape into his shelter, into his tabernacle. So we pray together tonight. What area you're needing deliverance? Well, let's even focus, not allow God to give God permission to not so much focus on the outward, unless that's where you're needing it in your life now. Allow him to convict on the motives as well. It's easy to just pick the dandelions and not get the root. So we can confess over and over and over again, I do this, I do this, I do this. Allow God to get to the root of the problem. What is the real issue there? What's the underlying motives? Where's the pride? What aspect of pride? What aspect of selfishness? Vanities? What insecurities? Allow God to convict us and then cleanse us from the inside and then the outside gets gone. You get rid of the, the root of the dandelion, the flowers will disappear. The dandelion weeds will disappear. We pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the clearness of it. Lord, we don't want to be just called by your name. We want to be godly. We want you to fill us. We want you to live out your life through us. We want you to make us imitators of you. Not imitations. Not fake. But real. Make it real in our lives. Make us holy as you are holy. Wash us clean and purge us of everything, every vanity, every proud heart, every evil thought, every wrong motive, everything that's for show, everything that's for self, everything that draws attention to us. Wash us clean. Set us free. Take it out of us. Bury it away in the Messiah. And fill us with your spirit, spirit of meekness and humility, goodness and kindness, transparency and love, holiness and righteousness, of purity and prudence, of modesty and unselfishness, goodness and kindness and giving, caring. Live out your life. Fill us with your motives, your heart, your mind, your desires, your joy, your peace, your presence, your perfection, and your actions. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.